Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to normalize grief and loss through candid conversations and shared experiences. Hosted by me, Sally Douglas, and me, Imogen Khan. We unfortunately joined the club that nobody wants to be part of when we both lost our mums unexpectedly. This podcast aims to create a space to openly discuss what grief is like and provide comfort for those who might be going through a similar experience. We'll shed light on an often taboo subject with honesty, hope and a little bit of humour. Hello everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to our very first episode. To kick off our podcast series, both Sally and I will be sharing our own experiences of grief and loss and how we came to be members of the club. On this episode, my incredible co-host Sally will be sharing her personal experience and what it's been like to lose her lovely mum unexpectedly and the whole host of challenges that come with being an expat and living on the other side of the world when it happened. Sally is an animal print lover and a PR whiz in her own right. She moved to Sydney from the UK over six years ago to live out the Australian dream and she's just an all-round awesome human being. Oh, thanks, Im. What a lovely intro. (laughs) In today's episode, we are going to be discussing the topic of sudden death from epilepsy. So we've included some links to helpful resources in our show notes that listeners might find useful. So first episode. First episode. Yeah. Good Good morning. Good morning, even though it's (laughs) afternoon here. Before we start, why don't we tell listeners a little bit about how you and I met? I guess to take it back a few steps, when I first lost my mum, I remember looking for resources and support groups um, in Sydney and really struggling to find something that was for people sort of in that in-between stage. So haven't lost a spouse, haven't lost a child, you know, that kind of middling sort of age and there wasn't really yeah there just wasn't really heaps out there but I found a group called Motherless Daughters Australia which supports girls and women who have experienced mother loss and there was a private Facebook group which we both became members of and from there there was an event organized for I think it was peak COVID wasn't it it was it was May so there was only 10 people that were allowed to go but we were we were on the short list yeah we made it Um, made the cut yeah and then from there yeah we met at this lunch I just remember sitting down and everyone was drinking coffee and I was like, we're here for really fucked up reason. I need a wine. I need something a bit stronger than coffee. So I felt like I was the only person that ordered a wine. And then you turned up a little bit late. That's right. Yeah. I couldn't find a park. Yeah. Shit Sydney parking. Yep. And I do remember seeing you and your wine and thinking I would really love a wine, but I'm driving so I can't. Nice and sensible. Sensible Sally. <laughs> and I think I sat down opposite you just so I could eye your wine up. Um, and then I went to order some food. And when I came back, somebody was sitting in the place in that place. So I ended up sitting at the opposite end of the table. But I remember when we were all talking about our experience and what happened and you saying that you were a similar age, early 30s, and that you'd lost your mum suddenly. I remember thinking that I really wanted to talk to you more and get to know you. And I was thinking about that the, the week afterwards, that I should reach out to you, but you beat me to it. I did. I slid into your DMs, <laughs> you didn't did, I? You did. The first person ever to slide into my DMs. <laughs> How'd it feel? Felt really good. <laughs> yeah, so then we, we met up, didn't we, and had a few wines and then... From there, this podcast was born, really. Yeah, it was great. I think for me, I really wanted to find somebody that was going through a similar experience. So, yeah, we both lost our mum suddenly. We were similar ages. Our mums were similar ages. Mm. We're both living in Sydney. So we already had great connection. And then we caught up for some 
drinks? Yeah, we had some drinks. We had some drinks. And then, you know, met up a couple of times after that. And we were both talking about how we both found and felt that there wasn't a lot of, there weren't many resources out there for people sort of our age who'd experienced sudden loss. Yeah, that um, in-between age. That in-between age, yeah. Not you young, know. not old, although yeah. feeling a bit old these days. <laughs> and then uh, from there, we decided to start Good Morning. And I, I guess the purpose of this podcast is to provide a platform to talk about grief and loss openly, honestly, you know, with a bit of humour, I hope, and also support people that are going through a similar thing because there isn't heaps out there and it, and it can be lonely. Yeah, really lonely. I felt, even though I was always surrounded by people, I felt like no one truly understood what I was going through. Mm. And I think then meeting you, going through similar circumstances, it was so comforting for me. You just got it, you know, mm. it was just that easy. And then i yeah, we'd, we'd meet up for chats and the times, hours would fly by and we'd still be deep in grief chat, which is not an easy... Knee deep in grief chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, knee deep in grief chat. How exciting. Um, but it's not... Barrel of laughter. <laughs> um, but it's not an easy chat to have and it's it's for some people it's hard to find that support and then that took us into conversations about what else can we do? How how else can we turn this in shit situation into something positive and maybe help other people who need that type of support as well? Because I know there's a lot of people struggling right now and especially going on the Facebook group and, and seeing people's posts. Like it's a really, really, really shit loss to go through losing your parent. I just think, yeah, if we can help anyone who's feeling lonely and isolated in their grief, then fuck, we've done a good job. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's a lonely experience. And no matter how you lose your parent, when you lose your parent, you know, it's really hard. For me, I found that after I lost mum, listening to podcasts about grief and listening to other people's experiences and how they coped really helped me because, you know, you're not alone. And, you know, just just people sharing their stories. It just provided some comfort. I I found, yeah, I found podcasts so helpful. I just think for me, I hated sitting in my own thoughts, Mm. especially with how my mum died, which we'll go into in the next episode. Um, It was quite traumatic and my mind was just going to some really heavy, dark places and it would just be on loop, constantly ruminating about all these really dark thoughts. So I found podcasts really helpful and specifically podcasts to do with grief. Mm. Um, I know I was like searching traumatic grief podcast (laughs) like trying to narrow it down to my situation just to feel like I wasn't the only one thinking and feeling these fucked up thoughts that I was so yeah podcasts were really helpful for me so hopefully yeah by doing this it's adding to that helpful resource for people definitely and to your point I was the same like before mum passed away I could go to sleep instantly pretty much and like a baby after, like a baby my head hit the pillow I was out and 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 since then I haven't been able to do that and I, I definitely found in you know those first initial weeks especially that you know just going to sleep in the dark and I just my mind would be racing it's the and worst time I would just start getting really upset and it was at least having something to listen to it did help a little. I found guided meditation really helpful for me. So at the moment I'm listening to Tibetan Buddhist singing bowls, which my partner hates. He's like, what is this shit? (laughs) It's about this monk and he's gone on a trek to the 
um, Buddhist monastery and then he was recording a sound bowl healing session and I don't know what it is about it but it, send, it sends me to a really nice deep sleep but um, yeah and there's so many apps out there that have normal garden meditations if that's not really your cup of tea <laughs> um, but yeah so anything to help switch off your mind especially when you're trying to get to sleep or when you're mm-hmm. going for a walk on your own or yeah so, Sal, um, why don't we start by telling listeners a bit about your lovely mum? So, my mum's name was Rose. She was 64 when she passed. Yeah, she was a lovely lady. She was very kind, very caring, very warm, friendly. She had Sounds lot- just like you. Oh, thanks, Tim. Yeah, we're quite similar. I definitely have moments where I'm like, that was your mum right there. And the older I get, the more they creep through. All the good and the bad bits. Yeah, which my husband likes to remind me of. <laughs> she liked travelling. She was very interested in people and culture. She, yeah, she was she was lovely. Did your mum come over to Australia much since you've been living here? Yeah, so I've been here for six and a half years and she's she came over about five times. Yeah, so she, oh, she wow. was over a lot. Yeah, That's keen. Yeah, but yeah, she really liked it. Her and her partner Richard were big fans, so... And she she was a real champion for me living here as well. She could see the amazing lifestyle that we have over here. And, yeah, she was all for it. So that's really helpful. Yeah, really supportive. Mm. Oh, that's lovely. Um, so what happened to your mum, Sal? So my mum suffered from epilepsy and she passed away from – it's something. It's called SUDEP. It stands for Sudden Unexpected Death of Someone with Epilepsy Who Is Otherwise Healthy. And it can happen for no apparent reason at all. So she – I was supposed to have a call with her the night before. So that would have been my Wednesday night, her Wednesday morning. And she didn't answer, which was quite unlike her. Normally, if we'd have organised a call, she would have stuck to stuck to the time. So I said to my husband, that's a bit weird, but maybe she slept in. But that morning, her partner had gone to work and said goodbye through the bedroom door. And she'd said goodbye back. But then when he came home in the evening, he found her face down in bed and she'd had a seizure. She, The paramedics confirmed that she hadn't taken her medication the day before. And with epilepsy, you have to be really strict with taking your medication because if you even miss one day, it can bring on a seizure. So I think she was quite stressed at the time. She was, she was going through quite a few personal things. And I think that she maybe just absentmindedly forgot to take her medication and it's a bit of a tragic mistake, to be honest, Dim. It's pretty intense, though, to have to remember to take a tablet every day. I know I definitely yeah. would not be on top of that. And I never thought that epilepsy would be a cause of death because she'd had seizures throughout her life and and always bounced back. You know, it might, might have meant that she was, I think the last seizure she had was six years ago and she was in hospital because she'd banged her head. She'd fell and banged her head and was concussed, but... But she always recovered from them. So I never thought that it would be a reason for her death. I guess you're probably worrying about the impact, like if she fell and and hit her head on something, not lying in bed. You're not going to expect that that's... You worry about things like what if she has a seizure when she's behind the wheel of a car or what if she hurts herself badly or falls and, you know, hits her head. But you just don't think that it would ha- it would be the cause of death or that it would happen when, she, yeah, she was asleep. Mm. So who broke the news to you? How did you, how did you find out that your mum had, had died? So her partner Richard broke the news to me. So it was 6am in the morning and I was getting ready to go to the gym. 
So I got up, turned my phone off aeroplane mode, and I had a WhatsApp message from Richard saying to call him. And um, yeah, I remember it really vividly. I was in the bathroom, I was about to brush my teeth, and I called Rich. And I thought maybe something might have happened, like she may have had an accident or something. But I never thought that it would be to tell me that she'd passed away. And I'll just never forget him saying, I need you to steady yourself now. Your mum's passed away. And you just think, what? Like, she... What the fuck? Yeah, she was so healthy. Other than having epilepsy, she was really fit, healthy and active. I just I just did not expect in my in a million years mm. that I would lose my mum at 33. Like I just I just didn't think that that would We think we've got all the time in the world with them don't we? and I think especially being this age you, you expect to lose your parents in your middle ages when you're you know 40, 50, 60 years old. And I guess you know, one of the hardest things for us having lost our mum suddenly is that we we don't even get to say goodbye. You know, we don't even get the chance to have those conversations that you you otherwise would get to have if they had an illness or you, a terminal disease or were dying of old age. Like, it's just such a shocking thing to happen. It was just such a shock. Like, I, I, I thought that I would, well, I just assumed that I would have my mum until I was in my 50s or 60s. Mm. I just, yeah, you just... Which you bloody well should. We should. We shouldn't be having to deal with this. Yeah, it was um, yeah, a re- just a real shock. So once you found out, so how how were you feeling? I can just imagine. Oh, I don't know. It's just a huge shock, isn't it? Just disbelief. Your world turns upside down in in a split second. Yeah, I just couldn't believe it. I think I said to Rich, Richard, "Are you joking?" And then I remember running in and waking my husband up, and the poor guy got such a fright. But you know, saying my mum's my mum's passed away. Like it was just. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was... Um... I feel like there's, you know, when you find out that news, there's this point where it's like your life is then split into two. So you've got the before, mm. finding out the news, and then life afterwards, and they're two very different realities, aren't they? Definitely. I know that I think you feel the same, that now life... you when you lose someone really close to you really suddenly you are aware of like the pains of life more mm. and I definitely see life through a bit of a different lens now um I'm more aware of it's hard to explain I know exactly what you mean it's like you feel emotions so much more intensely now like when something bad happens it feels so much worse and when something good happens like you see the beauty in it so much more now I think you appreciate the beauty in things but life is just different like we're we're not navigating in the same life that we were prior to our mums dying that's for sure you realize the fragility of life as well so I think for me not sweating the small stuff as much now because I know that literally we are all ashes and dust in the end I've got my mum's ashes in my living room but yeah life is finite like Mm. it's just it really makes you it really shatters you to the core and makes you I guess kind of feel I don't know for me I felt really unsafe I think so I you do feel unsafe and you feel uh, unmoored I guess because Mm. your mum is that person that anchors you but also that person that is your cheerleader and always there for you biggest support well for for us anyway I know obviously Mm. people have different relationships with their mothers but you and I were both we were quite lucky to have a really close bond 
Yeah, and look, my my relationship with my mum was complex. It wasn't always great, and it definitely got better over time as mm. as I as I got older and we kind of our relationship matured but um she was really supportive and you know that person that knows you better than you know yourself as well not having that person around and yeah for some people it might be their dads or sibling or partner best friend but yeah it 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 does feel you feel slightly unanchored for me anyway it's it's that feeling yeah and I feel like no matter where you are in the world you know, for you living on the other side of the world, it doesn't matter because as long as your mum's there, you'll be okay. Everything's fine. So when you lose that person, it's you're really navigating in uncharted waters, I think. It's true. It's true. So, Sal, so obviously you found out the news. It was a massive shock. Did you go back to the UK? Like, what, what did you have to do? Did you have to book a flight straight away? So that first day, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, I was just, just, couldn't believe it it was just a nightmare really it felt like a real nightmare but I um you know I spoke to immediate family and friends and kind of tried to piece together you know what had happened mum's partner was at the house with two of my uncles so it was speaking to them and kind of some of the practical stuff like okay when's the next flight home that I can get where am I going to stay is anyone available to pick me up from the airport should I fly into London Heathrow? No, it's probably better for me to fly into Birmingham. That's closer. All those logistical things. And then it's once I booked my flight, so I, I got a flight for 6am the next day. It was things like doing handover notes for work, got, you know, packing. I did drink quite a bit of red wine on the day. Always um, helps. Yeah. Until speak, the next day. <laughs> speaking to friends, not everyone, like people were trying to call me and I didn't really feel like talking to everyone. It's hard, isn't it? It's like you're in such shock. It's just, I remember my phone was blowing up and I just, what do you say? In fact, that whole first month or two, my phone was like, especially the first couple of weeks, my phone was blowing up and it was Mm. quite, it was lovely, but it was also overwhelming when, like I've never been so busy in that first month. It was insane. It's kind of weird though, like when it first happens, it's quite common for everyone just gets in contact with you and is offering support and then there is a a kind of after the funeral that moment where everyone goes back to their normal lives and then it goes quiet did you find that there was definitely elements of that like I've got core friends that check in all the time Mm -hmm. and it's definitely brought me closer to some friends but people do they get they they move on with their lives life goes on and I think if you haven't experienced a sudden loss and you haven't experienced like you, you don't know what it's like people you know they they mean well but they just they just get on with their lives but I've had friends that I expected to really be there that haven't some friends back home but it, it just is what it is I think some people it brings up things for them and, and grief it's a bit of an awkward topic like some people don't know what to say and that's fine too unless you've been through it I guess there is a bit of a a club now of people that have lost a parent mm. and you you get it and it's just this unspoken kind of understanding and compassion. Definitely. But it's an like it is an awkward Some some subject. people just don't know what to say. Yeah, yeah. it's it they just they just don't know how to approach the subject. So you book the flight and then so I mean I hate long haul travel at the best of times. How did you cope with the flight home? 
it went in a bit of a blur to be honest i think i had a lot of red wine and i had some sleeping more wine, more wine. <laughs> we're sounding more and more like alcoholics as this podcast goes on there's a theme um, <laughs> yeah drank lots of red wine and had some sleeping pills and it just went really quickly actually sleeping um, pills will do that to you it will yeah yeah I, it, it went quickly and then i touched down on the friday night so i found out on the thursday morning and was in the uk yeah friday night and my friend neil came and picked me up from the airport that would have been quite surreal landing in the UK, but you were not expecting to be there. It really was. I've lived in Australia for six and a half years and I've only been back to the UK twice. So I definitely wasn't prepared to be back home and especially in the winter over there. Yeah, it was It was definitely a surreal feeling. So what did that first month look like for you, Sal, when you landed back in the UK? It was hectic, Im, to hectic. be honest. Yeah, it was hectic. Um I remember saying to my husband when I first got back, like, I feel like I've got a mountain to climb. There's so much to do. I just don't know how I'm going to get it all done. And the thing is, because she she passed away late November. So by the time I got back, like, it was about a month to go until Christmas. And I knew that a lot of the services and places would be closed over the Christmas holidays. So I really needed to to get stuff done this side of Christmas. So I kind of had that time pressure. Shit always happens around Christmas. Yeah. And what had, is it? <laughs> had a lot of people saying as well, oh, you know, that you might struggle to get a funeral date locked in this side of Christmas. And like, so I was really panicking. But the first month, so the first week was sorting out elements regarding the death. So because when somebody dies, the paramedics ask questions and there's a couple of questions they ask to close the death off. Because my uncles didn't feel that they were the right people to to answer the questions they 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 said they prefer it if I did that when I got back so I had to wait until the Monday to call the coroner's office and basically like close off the 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 death so it could go the cause yeah so basic questions were along the lines of do you believe this to be the cause of death and and that kind of then enabled me to go to the next level so once I had spoken to the coroner's office then they sent the details of the death to mum's doctor, who then provided, I guess, a confirmation of death note. So I had to go and pick that up. And once I had that, I could book in an appointment to get the death certificate. So without the death certificate, you can't really move forward. You need that to be able to organise the funeral and everything, and lots of other elements. So then I got the death certificate, and then from there I could sort out the funeral details. So... I went to the funeral directors with my mum's siblings and her partner and that meeting was really just locking in the date. So we had we locked in the date of the 17th of December, which was about three weeks from that, that point. And then things like, you know, details like, do you want it to be a burial or a cremation? And I knew that my mum wanted to be cremated. And then we had to choose the coffin. So that was pretty surreal because they pulled out this like it was a like a really thick catalog of different coffins what the hell <laughs> so you could choose like your standard wooden coffin but then there were like wicker coffins and then there wicker were like coffins yeah and um there were like photo montage coffins so you could oh, have like lovely. a f- full-on photo collage on your coffin there were like flower themed coffins football themed coffins like all sorts of different things so in the end we went for a rose coffin which her name was rose so we thought that was pretty apt yeah and it was really nice 
and then you choose the design of the order of service and that's kind of it in terms of the initial things for the funeral the rest of it you do kind of in the you know weeks leading up to it but um it was just good to have a date locked in and then another big thing in that first week is telling people so who you know compiling a list of who the important people are that needed to know which can also then double up as your funeral invite list um that's a massive task i know mm. i was so hopeless when it came to doing anything practical my poor sister and stepdad had to jump in and do everything did you have to do the ringing around and letting everybody know what had happened i did a lot of it mum's partner did some and her siblings did some but i did I guess the majority and it was really hard it's such a hard task and especially because our mums died suddenly as well people are not expecting to hear the news so it's not it's not a it's not a nice phone call to make it's really not and I think just I mean I was still in shock and disbelief but just saying what had happened over and over again it just didn't seem real and it was really upsetting to have to repeat those words Mm. yeah Did, did you find like even saying the words it was just wasn't real it just yeah it it felt you can't believe what's coming out of your mouth it's like my mum's dead like how the fuck is this even possible how am I even saying these things and it was hard because their reaction as well because it was sudden and unexpected you know some of her best friends like you just hear the heartbreak on the end of the phone it was yeah it was it was really hard but her friends were amazing and they rallied around and people leaving like bottles of wine and cooked meals on the doorstep of um, her house because I was staying at my auntie's but then I was staying at mum's house with her partner as well so I was kind of in between just little acts of kindness like that they really make all the difference yeah um, I think in such a shit situation you really do see the good in people and the, the kind gestures that people do at such a horrific time in your life they do mean so much even just little things like baking a lasagna and bringing it around like it's so thoughtful and it's something that you you know no one's got the energy to cook probably not even eating but it's just yeah it's a really nice gesture definitely and and even you know the cards I received I I've brought them all back to Oz with me and I find real comfort in rereading them and just those kind words about my mum like if yeah it, it, it was a real comfort and I think now me moving forward whenever somebody I know loses someone I will really make sure that I write a really thoughtful sympathy card because actually for me it did bring a lot of comfort that's lovely and it still does so in terms of the first month other there was so much to do I've, I've never been so busy in my life to be honest but I project managed it really well Working in PR, you know, I'm good at an old to-do list. You got in the work mode. I did. I just went into work mode. I think because I had so much to get done and I only had a short time frame to do it in, I didn't have time to really grieve properly or or really process what happened because I, I was just run ragged. I had every day was really busy. It was full of things to do. Had to like, I, I remember like there were certain things I, I had to tick off that day. Like it would, it wouldn't be a case of I can do it tomorrow it was like I I need to get it done today because of time so I mean when someone passes away suddenly their life is literally left hanging in the balance you've got to piece everything together so in those first initial weeks it was figuring out like what bills did she have to pay what memberships did she have what subscriptions all sorts of things like that letting the banks know 
and getting them to freeze her accounts. It's just so many things that you wouldn't think about. No, like cancelling her driver's licence, what savings did she have, starting to get an idea of what her estate was. So looking at like, you know, did she have a pension? What kind of assets did she have? Yeah, all sorts of things like that. And then obviously doing the ring arounds, letting all of these people know, you know, that there was a process involved with that because they'd often need a copy of the death certificate. You'd have to fill a form out. So it was like a lot of admin oh heavy God. stuff. So yeah, lots of, of that kind of stuff. And then in the background, another really big piece was trying to locate a will. So I couldn't find a will at first and I was pretty sure that she had one and she was quite organised. So I was, you know, surprised. that. Well, she's your mother. I, <laughs> I definitely think she's organised. Yeah. <laughs> um, like she, she had like receipts like for the last like two years. So I was like, there's no way oh my God, she won't Rose. have a will. So anyway, ringing around different solicitors in the city that I'm from and trying to find, do you have a will under this name? Quite often, banks will hold wills or the solicitors who's dra- who have drafted them will hold them. So I, I definitely encourage people to have that conversation with their parents. Is your will up to date? Where is it held? Things like that. that Am will- I in it? Am I in it? Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that will really help down the line. And it's something that people probably don't talk about that much, but it is really important. So anyway, my friend Neil came around and we turned the house upside down and we found the will eventually. It was at the back of a wardrobe, kind of in a, a really discreet place, which will not really help when you're trying to find it. So so then from there, it was things like going to meet with different solicitors to get their interpretation of the will and then decide who I wanted to help me with getting probate. Definitely as an expat, it has been super important for me having a solicitor that can deal with things on my behalf because being on the other side of the world and trying to deal with tying up the estate and lots of different elements like selling her house, it's been really hard trying to do it from so far away. If I didn't have that support from a solicitor to be able to sign things on my behalf and kind of go through sort of some of the more admin heavy elements like it would have been quite difficult so I definitely recommend that for anyone who lives overseas to to consider that option if you ever get to it 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 has been really helpful for me so many practical tasks it's kind of exhausting like were you just so exhausted I was exhausted yeah did you have it did you get a moment at all to just sort of I mean grieve sit down realize what was happening have a minute to yourself not really and I think I sort of kept myself busy because I maybe didn't want to sit down and kind of think about it as well didn't want to face the reality of what was happening I mean I had time in the evenings but then I was going out for like dinner with friends or family or mum's partner or I was at home with my auntie or the weekends I did give myself off and I went to see friends that live in London and kind of kept busy how did you find that I mean I was for me, I've been quite scared to like go out and drink and, and have a good time. There was there was one um, instance where I went to dinner at my girlfriend's house and the whole time I was just sort of sitting, like it was really lovely, but I just had that screaming voice in my head like, your mum's dead, your mum's dead. It's just like I couldn't, anywhere I went, I couldn't escape it. And I think I was kind of frightened to go and do normal things. So I sort of hid at home for a long time. I didn't find it too bad. Like, I didn't go out, out. Like, um, I went to... Out, out. out, out. (laughs) Didn't go out on a bender. (laughs) It was mainly, like, pubs and, you know, cosy kind of places or round friends' houses. So a bit of a distraction. Yeah, yeah. Just eating good food and drinking lots of wine. I mean, some people find that not drinking 
is better and and you know they do say look after yourself and I did look after myself but red wine was also very helpful <laughs> it's full of antioxidants oh yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> and then in in the in the first couple of months as well it's things like had to sell a car had to get estate agents round to value the house so I could get kind of a steer on what it was worth and then an idea of who I might want to help me sell it when I went back to Australia and then planning the funeral all in the background. So things... Non-stop. It was absolutely non-stop. So with the funeral, it was things like who is going to speak and then working with them to organise what they were going to say, get that, that detail over to the minister who was conducting the ceremony so they could compile all of the details, getting all the words in the order of service and proofing that, deciding what songs so you have a choice of three songs so deciding which songs to choose and I had input from mum's family on that I thought I felt that it was really important that everyone had a say in the funeral it wasn't just me it was a collective thing that's another thing that is a good conversation to have I know my mum had had that conversation with her best friends one night and they'd all written down their funeral songs and given them to each other so we had my mum's funeral list which is all the songs that she'd picked out that's brilliant a lot of Bob Dylan Joni Mitchell it's I mean, luckily, I'd had the conversation with my mum a few years ago, and I remember her saying that she wanted her funeral to be a celebration of her life and for people to wear bright colours. But I wish I'd written it down because I'm sure there were other elements that I can't remember. I'm sure there were specific songs. So I definitely encourage, yeah, anyone who who still has their parents to maybe have that conversation and just get a bit of a steer because if I hadn't have had that conversation with my mum... I would have had a general idea of what she would have liked, but you are left stabbing in the dark a little bit. So her funeral, you know, it was a celebration of life. So everyone wore bright colours. The songs were a different mix of songs that my family and I chose. But yeah, you've, you've got things like sorting out the flowers as well. So I had the flowers on top of her coffin match the flowers that are in my wedding bouquet. Um, oh, that's beautiful. They had roses in them. So it was just felt really apt. Very on theme. On theme, yeah. (laughs) Um, So they went on top of the rose coffin. Things like deciding who's going to carry the coffin, so who will be the pallbearers, who's going to go in the limos and the cars and all sorts of things like that. And then also the wake. So where are you going to have the wake? What's the catering going to be? Theming. So I wanted, I just wanted to give her the best send off possible. So things like uh, I created five big AO photo boards covering different, phases of her life so from like childhood and her teenage years to then motherhood to then later in life I wanted everyone that came to the wake to be able to look at the photos and relate to a period in time that they knew my mum so a bit of a timeline of yeah. her life that's beautiful yeah and everyone really loved that but that took a lot of time I was going to and from Ikea and I mean I don't know where you had the time to do that but yep carry yeah, on I neither do I now when I think about it you're a bit um, of a freak <laughs> and then I had like you know I decorated it so there was roses in vases on every table along with a framed photo of mum from different periods of her life and and then you know other things to consider are you know writing a eulogy so I knew that I wanted to say something that was really important to me but knowing where to start like how do you summarize someone's life like how do you do it justice like I I struggled with that for a while and I definitely sat on that for a a week or so and then it kind of came all at once but weirdly enough actually I found when I was going through her bedside table drawers trying to find the will, I found a piece, a note, and it was at the back of one of the drawers. And it said, Sarah, which is my real name, 
how I would like to be remembered. And it had like a short paragraph of how she'd like to be remembered. That's amazing. Amazing. Super weird. I don't know why. Your mum's got some weird things at the back of her cupboards and drawers. Yeah, she does. But I I was like, why would she have written that? I think she must have written it a while ago. And maybe it was, I don't know, maybe it was just something she thought of randomly and she was jotting it down, you know. You know, sometimes you have those thoughts before you go to sleep. How I want to be remembered. Yeah, who knows? Not a thought I often have, but I I might think about that. (laughs) So yeah, so, so did you get? Was, did you manage to get up and speak, Sal? I did. Yeah, it was a, it was hard. But I had my cousin with me, so she came up and stood next to me, and she'd she'd written a small piece to say. So the idea was, if I couldn't do it, then she would do it for me, and if we both couldn't do it, then the minister would. So we had like a little plan in place. Backup plan. Backup plan. Yeah, and yeah, it was it was it was hard, but I knew that I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it justice, and I wanted to say. I wanted to give her a, you know, a a really good final send off with those words. But yeah, I mean, nothing prepares you for sitting in that limo with a coffin in the, in the, you know, in the limo in front and just thinking my mum's in that coffin, like nothing prepares you for it. And, and I was okay, like driving to the the funeral, had like my mum's family and my husband and her partner with me. But, and I was, I was fine, but then when they lifted up the coffin and the intro music started that's oh, the when, fucking music that's when i just went and i was yeah I, I found that really hard i mean it, the whole the whole serve it was a lovely service and a lot of people commented on how nice it was and i do feel that it was a great send off for her and i'm i'm really pleased with how it went I think she would have been really proud. It sounds like you did an amazing job. I I really hope so. And there were like 150 people there. It was it was packed. They had to like open the doors and people had to stand outside and it was it was a really good send off. But yeah, it was definitely hard delivering delivering the eulogy and another thing that I had to think of in those weeks leading up to the funeral was whether I wanted to see the body or not. Mm, and that was that's a, a really, big one. It was a really big decision and something that you know, I really wasn't sure, but in my gut, I just couldn't help but think, I just don't want that to be my last memory of mum. It um, would have been so hard, though, because as well, because you lost your mum, suddenly you didn't get a chance to see her again. You're not going to ever get a chance to see her again in the physical sense. So it's just would have been the most, yeah, the dif- most difficult decision. It really was. And my auntie and my cousin wanted to go and see her. They wanted to go and see the body. So they they went and I decided against it in the end. And then later that day, I saw my auntie and she said, I'm really glad that you didn't go because it didn't look like your mum and it was quite upsetting. I think when she'd been, it had been a few weeks since she had passed and the way that they had made her up in terms of, you know, her her appearance didn't really look much like her and then also they do things like they put cotton wool inside the cheeks to like because obviously they they go plump them up a bit yeah plump them up a bit and my auntie said like just the face shape didn't even look like mum so I'm really glad that I didn't go but it is a really big decision to make because I was like what if I regret it what if I'm sitting on that plane flying back to Australia and I really regret it then on the other hand what if I'm haunted by that image? Yeah, you, you don't know? really want that to be your last your lasting image. Yeah. So so yeah, I'm glad that I didn't I didn't go, but it was definitely a, a big decision. So you've 
packed so much into one month in the UK. Yeah, and another another thing is clearing the house. That's like that was a huge thing. So that I did that sort of, you know, in the last couple of weeks, but I knew that I wanted to leave the house as like a shell with just like bare furniture in. I wanted to get rid of everything because I knew that if I didn't do that, it would be quite hard to manage from overseas. So, yeah, cleared out the attic all of the sentimental things, decided what I wanted to take back to Australia, decided what family members wanted. And then it was winter there. So I did a run to the clothes bank with all of her clothes because I thought that's really important. Mm. Just give that to somebody who needs it. And then I took everything, non-perishable items to a food bank and then everything else went to charity or to the tip. I must have done about 50 runs to the tip. I mean, this sounds like a whole month's job just clearing out the house. Yeah, it was pretty It was pretty hectic, but I was just absolutely ruthless and I didn't really have time because for some people it's quite hard, I think, letting go. So hard. I think people even wait months, even I guess a year in some cases where it's just so difficult to let go of of you know possessions yeah that I think I think it's really hard for some people but because I didn't have the luxury of time and it, it had to go I was quite ruthless and anything that I couldn't bring back to Australia was was gone if family members or friends didn't want it it was yeah it had to go so I ended up taking photos back and you know letters and things oh, like sentimental things sentimental things um, some items of clothing some photo frames and knickknacks but not there wasn't a lot really it was it was mainly sentimental items jewelry and things like that but everything else went ruthless ruthless sal (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah so once you'd finished packing up your mum's house and so I guess you had to head on back to to Australia yeah Yeah, so we flew out on the 22nd of December and then landed back in Oz late on the 23rd. So that's what, five days after the funeral? Yeah. Bloody hell. Yep. And by that point, I was really itching to get back to Australia. I was ready for some sunshine. I was sad to leave everyone behind because the the support network I had back home was incredible and it really did make me realise how strong my network is back there. But also Australia's home and I love it here and I was looking forward to coming back and seeing friends and everyone over here as well. So we ended up bringing her partner back with us because he really loves it over here and we just felt that it's, it's a hard time to, you know, not only to lose someone but then also with Christmas and then winter over there, January can be a really hard month in the UK and I just thought it would be good for him to come back and, you know, be with us in sunshine and we had each other then to kind of support each other and I think he felt that he wanted to keep an eye on me as well and be there for me so that was nice to have him Um, he came back for a couple of months but he didn't want to go home he didn't want to go home (laughs) he didn't and the poor guy went back home straight into covid straight into lockdown which was really hard I think um, he literally, I think he was back for a week and then, and it was locked down over there. So, so that yeah, that's another thing we should cover at another time is trying to grieve during COVID. Absolutely bizarre. It's just <laughs> fucking weird. It's like the time where you need support and you need to be able to go and, you know, do things and get out of the house, but no, you're isolated with your grief. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it was, a, it has been a strange yeah. old time. Um, so do you think that your grief was delayed because you were so flat out in the UK. Was there was there a moment where you just sat down and just went, fuck, what, what, what's going on? 
yeah, weirdly, I think it hit me a couple of weeks ago. Like I, I've been upset and the first month that I was back in Oz, I had that month off and like I was really upset and it did hit me. Like I remember on Christmas Eve, so the day after we got back, going to a friend's barbecue and I had to leave because I just couldn't even do small talk. It was just, I just could not. I mean, I hate small talk anyway. (laughs) And then it's like small talk when you're grieving. It's just nah. Yeah, it was really hard. And And then it was Christmas, right? And I think sometimes with Christmas, there's that, you feel that added pressure to be jolly and joyful and happy and just couldn't, I wasn't up to that task. I was like, I can't even, I just wanted Christmas to fuck off. Yeah, basically. So the first month, yeah, I mean, I was sad, but it still, I mean, it had, it didn't sink. It still hasn't sunk in. I don't think, but the other week I had a really sad week. I, I found some cards from her so some birthday cards and Christmas cards they just had really lovely words in them and I think I just felt what I felt heartbreak because it kind of was that reality that she's not here so there's been all sorts of different emotions and sometimes like I have weeks where I still don't really believe it but then there are weeks when I really feel it and I know that it's true and I really really feel and you know it it can happen at any time. Like I could be in the like supermarket and it will just hit you. And I mean, you probably know you've experienced the same thing. It like wins you. Yeah. Like a punch in the gut. Yeah. And, and like it takes your breath away and it just, it hurts. It physically hurts, you know? That's, yeah. The pain is, it's pretty unbearable sometimes, isn't it? It really is. And um, yeah, it could be, it could be any moment really. But I think what, what, what I really noticed in those first few months was the absolute exhaustion. And even now, like I, I feel like I'm constantly really tired, but the first few months I was exhausted. I was sleeping like 11 hours a night. It's next level. I was even saying to you before we started, I've got this tick where I'm now squinting my eyes. I think my body is just that tired. My eyes are squinting. I look, yeah, like a freak. (laughs) It's, um... Takes it out of you. It really, really does. You don't look like a freak, by the way. I think so. Yeah, it's just exhausting and... I just tried to take it as easy as I possibly could. So just lots of walks with my dogs, lots of beach time, lots of reading, trying to read things that were like fiction and happy and, you know, that would take me out of. Oh God, you're better than me. I literally bought like six self-help books, like all the different types of mother loss books. There is like mother loss workbook, mother loss for new mums, finding meaning. I was just like, I couldn't read anything else. I just, I kind of became obsessed with death and grieving. Like it's become a bit of an obsession, probably not healthy, probably should speak to someone about that. (laughs) But here we are doing a podcast on grief now, grief, grief, grief. (laughs) I guess everyone deals with it in their own way though, don't they? For me, it was, I needed something to take me out of that headspace. So before she passed away, I loved a crime drama. I was all about that. Oh, love it. My husband would be like, God, all you watch is miserable British shows. (laughs) like, it's good drama. But now I'm like, I can't deal with it. Like I need... Something a bit light. Light, definitely. I found Schitt's Creek really good. I binged Schitt's Creek and it was just such a really light-hearted, funny series that it just got me out of those dark places sometimes. Yeah. I um, This Country was the one for me. I hadn't watched it. I haven't watched it it yet. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's very funny. Sal, I know – so you got back and it was Christmas time and then all those firsts. Your birthday was a big one. So that wasn't long after – was yeah, it? oh, it's July. Few months, yeah. 
Yeah, there, I mean, there, there, there have been a, a fair few firsts, and I know you've had a, a, quite a lot of firsts as well recently. There was Mother's Day. So Mother's Day in the UK is in March, and then it's in May. Yep, so you get a double Mother's Day. It's like, Mother's thank Day. you. Yeah, and I think that was really hard, but just taking myself off social media was really important. Yeah, I tried to do the same as well. Social media is pretty difficult on those days. It really is, and... It's just, yeah, like there's just no point trying to... No, seeing everyone having their happy Mother's Day lunches. And it's like, well, my mum's dead, so that's great. Thank you. Enjoy your lunch. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go cry in the shower. It really hurts. And so on both of those days, I just tried to keep busy. I think me and Aunt went and had a road trip and did something really nice, went for a lunch or something. And then my birthday was... It, the the week leading up to it was really emotional actually and I was thinking about her a lot and the day itself was it I was quite busy I had a lot planned I've heard it's the lead up more so than the day itself because you're quite yeah you've got things on but yeah. it's like leading into it you're thinking about oh I've got this dreaded day coming up how am I going to feel it was it was very emotional I, I was thinking about her all the time you did a really beautiful thing on your birthday though if you want to share that story but Scattering your mum's ashes, which is also funny. Oh, yeah. So so on on my birthday, we went to the Botanical Gardens in Sydney, which is where we got married, because my mum's ashes were scattered there. So we kind of went to, you know, say hi to mum and just spend a moment with her. But scattering the ashes, yeah, that was an experience. I mean, even bringing the ashes back to Australia was quite a, a process. Yeah, so. how do you do that? Do you need like a... So you need a letter from the funeral director basically stating whose ashes they belong to and kind of key details. God, like people try to smuggle other people's ashes out of the country. Like <laughs> what? what the hell? So they, the ashes came in like a huge big canister. They call it like, it's like a shaker. It was probably like A4 size in height, like an A4 piece of paper, but it was really thick, like a thick tube. So I scattered some of the ashes in the UK with family and then I had to like downsize and get like a smaller shaker that would fit in my handbag to bring the rest back to Oz. So yeah, we decided to scatter some ashes in the botanical gardens on the the spot where we got married. So I remember going and sitting on a bench, which was just just in front of of the spot that we got married on this, this lovely lawn that overlooked the Opera House and Harbour Bridge. And I like you know try to like certainly take I love this story take the like ashes out of my out of my handbag and then just sprinkle them on the floor and I had it in my mind that it would be this really kind of you know lovely moment where they just fly off and you know sprinkle <laughs> off um, this romantic kind of yeah. release of your loved one and but they're like bath salts and they're really thick and chalky and I was like putting them on the flower bed and they were like landing on the flowers, but they weren't like, it was, it was like white chalk. It oh my God. Really were obvious. people around when you were there doing was, this? There were a few people I was trying to, I was like, you know, trying to kind of just like make myself look really discreet. And, um, it just was scattering my mum here, nothing to see. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. So then we went to basically like the, the harbour and scattered some of them in the harbour. Cause that was a bit easier, but yeah, it definitely, like, and, and I scattered them at headland up where near where we live, there's a really beautiful headland overlooking the beach and it's where I go running. So it's like a nice local spot. So I scattered some there, but I've still got some left because they were so hard to get rid of. Like I've, I like, I actually don't like, unless I find another spot, I'm like, where are they going to go? 
there was loads like it's oh actually quite hard scattering ashes and and like when uh, I was taking them back to Australia like I had them in a Coles bag and I said to my husband like I know this is a bit weird but like I've got my mum in a Coles bag it's just bizarre like yeah. not Tesco <laughs> not Tesco no it was Coles I managed to yeah have an Aussie shopping bag but um <laughs> represent yeah and there were yeah lots the first have definitely been hard like I became an Australian citizen in June. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Aussie, yeah, which was a really big moment for me. And, and I, you know, it's something that I wanted for a long, long time. And I knew that my mum would have been so proud. So, you know, moments like that that you just want to share. And I do find comfort. Like, I, I still have a mobile phone and I can't bear to wipe it. I think I'll keep it for as long as I possibly can. But little things like going through our WhatsApp messages and going through like her Spotify account and, you know, it has like your top. Uh, top played songs of the year and things like that like I feel I like to do that because I feel like a connection to her what's like one of your mum's top played songs weirdly sex on fire by kings of leon which makes me feel slightly awkward (laughs) but also sarah by thin lizzie so that's my real name so that's sort of heartbreaking to listen to that song i don't really listen to it that much but lots of human league and i feel like you know those sort of 80s classics but you feel kind of connected to her when you're listening to it yeah i do i do it's nice to have her phone and even like reading through emails that she sent to friends where she talks about me and talks about her life and stuff that's been really nice to read through those as well yeah do you find that you're kind of understanding your mum on a deeper level now like rather than just your mum like seeing her as another 100% person with flaws and I feel like so much more empathy towards her now and you know stories come out when like when I was back home lots of stories yes I found lots of letters and things that I wouldn't have been privy to otherwise so I feel like I have a bit more of a deeper understanding of what she went through in her life and more about you know a more intimate side of her I definitely see her in a completely different light now did you have any good stories yeah there were quite a few one that my cousin told which was kind of a bit of a family joke was it was my cousin's 30th a few years ago and my mum's always been very she was always very practical and so she gave my cousin this birthday present and it was this sort of jewelry box it was like a a long kind of I guess like a shape like a necklace or a bracelet so my cousin's thinking oh oh, lovely it's you know it's my 30th I bet this is diamond earrings something really nice and uh, she opened it and it was an iPhone charger great (laughs) and yeah my cousin was like baffled (laughs) thanks (laughs) so yeah that's just a bit of a a running joke in our family about just what you know what the thought process was behind that present but what about you have you got anything funny that came to fruition after oh there was one one really funny one so at the wake everyone was sharing funny stories about my mum because there was a lot she was quite a unique character yeah um and then so my sister she's got two sons and the oldest son would spend every monday night staying at my mum's house and then she'd look after him on Tuesday while my sister went to work. And so my sister had no idea, but the entire time, and we're talking years, on the Tuesday that mum was looking after her son, she hired a nanny. So there was this lovely Spanish lady that was staying at the backpackers in um, where my mum lived. She was paying her like 25 bucks an hour or something to come and play with 
her grandson oh while she lay God. there and read books in the sun. <laughs> and my sister had no idea. I I knew, but I was told never to tell my sister because my sister would have killed her. So I didn't. So I didn't ever tell her. And it came out of the wake. I was like, yes, I don't have to keep that secret anymore. Oh my but, God, that you know, is brilliant. My sister did see the humor in it, but it's just such a funny story. Oh, and definitely I mean, <laughs> smart, like smart. I mean, I'll be clever. I'll be doing that. I'm sure when I become a grandma. Oh, yeah, man. that was a that was a good one. That's brilliant. And I think those sharing those funny stories and those funny moments, like, you know, you need those lighthearted moments. So Sal, is there any any other uh, things that you'd like to recommend for anybody going through a similar situation to you that you found really helpful? Any resources? I think first and foremost, just take it easy on yourself. Like if you need to sleep, just sleep. Don't push yourself or try and overdo it be good to yourself I mean that being said if you fancy a wine have a wine exercise really important I definitely found like going for runs and things you know really really help releasing those endorphins definitely and doing things that you enjoy so for me like reading is really cathartic and you know being able to read a story that takes me out of the current present moment I found that really helpful going for like lots of long walks with my dogs going to the beach because down the road and you know things things just things that make my soul happy but also connecting with friends I think is really important I know some people tend to go into themselves but I think making sure that you are connecting with people is really important and a book called When Life Is Not Peachy by an Australian author called Pip Lincoln it was all about just being good to yourself when life's not great but it's just a really soothing manual I found that really comforting to read and also just reassurance that it's okay just to take it easy on yourself. That's lovely, Sal. Is there any tips that you'd have for somebody supporting someone in a similar situation? I know that can be quite tough at times, knowing what to do, what to say. I would say just have patience, which, you know, is, is you know, it's so important just to just to hold that space for that person as well. That's a really hard thing to do, Mm. holding the space I was Googling that the other night. I was like, what does it mean to hold space for someone? And it's it's really hard. What did Google say? So it's basically when you hold space for someone, you come into the situation without with a clear mind. So you basically don't make anything about yourself. So you just mm. let the person say whatever they're saying. Try not to get offended. Try not to even come up with a solution for their problem just listen and um, because I think a lot of the times even just rambling out how you're feeling can help you in that in that moment to understand and process your feelings because it's so, yeah. like there's so many can, complicated emotions that come up when you're grieving so yeah google holding space for someone and what that looks like I think it's an art and it's a really difficult thing to do it really is and just being there and just checking in in often is really important it doesn't have to be you know how are you maybe it's a text that says I'm here for you if you need me or I hope you're having an okay day today that's a big one I think asking someone how are you you know they're not going to be great I'm shit yeah yeah (laughs) thank you but I think it's just acknowledging that they're what they're going through as well sometimes you don't want people to say oh it'll get better you just want people to go it's shit I am sorry that you're going through that and just kind of sit with you in it like not wallow in it at all but just acknowledge you know that it's painful but but just let people let if you know let them know that you're there and a lot of people that that sent me messages said no need to reply and that I found that helpful because 
on top of everything else that you're going through sometimes trying to construct a text is just hard work and when when I was back in the UK I just I genuinely I didn't have the time to reply to everything and I felt and you don't want to feel rude as well but yeah you know, going through what you're going through but I think yeah even just putting that at the end is is thoughtful yeah just takes the pressure off and 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 I've had a few friends that have had losses since and I've done the same thing and I just you want to let people know that you're thinking of them but also no pressure to to write something back because I didn't have the energy really or the headspace to construct a text when I was in the depths of it all so that would be something I definitely recommend and you know if you know someone that's lost someone send them like offer to clean their house or maybe just take them a bottle of wine round or cook them a nice meal like those things and those gestures they really do mean everything even if it's just something really simple like texting them and asking them can I walk your dog or yes walking the dog was a big one I did not have the energy to do that the poor dog but yeah people came around and and walked the dog for me and that was really helpful yeah do you need someone to go and get your groceries or clean clean your house or or just dropping some food around like the last thing for me anyway that I thought about was what I was going to cook just the last thing on my mind and so little gestures like that I think really help Uber Eats voucher that's a good one. Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so things like that and I think some of the practical things that you touched on in this episode as well are going to be helpful for people hopefully as well so just starting those conversations with your loved ones and you know get those funeral wish lists going and definitely find out do your parents have a will or even your partner, husband, wife, do they have a will? Where are they? Where are they located? Is it with a solicitor? Is it with a bank? Is it at home? Maybe have that conversation. Like what what would you like your funeral to look like? What kind of songs would you like played? You know, would you want it to be somber or would you want it to be a colourful affair? Like what, you know, what? how do you want to be sent off from this world? It's a pretty morbid conversation to have. But I think, you know, when you're stuck in situations like ours, it's really useful to have that information and just takes the pressure off having to make those decisions in the thick of it it's true and if you're an expat you won't really know until you're in it what you need to do but hiring a good solicitor that can help you when you're back overseas making sure that you know you've vetted a couple of different estate agents so you can get a steer on who you think might be the best person to sell the house especially if you're not in the same country getting recommendations as well from people wherever the property is located on who they would recommend in terms of estate agents things like that but I think first and foremost is having those conversations about wills and the conversations that nobody wants to have yeah I mean yeah yeah, they're hard conversations to have but important ones definitely really important that's a wrap for today's episode thank you everyone for tuning in and an especially big thank you to you Sal for opening up about your story I know it's not easy to talk about but I think people are going to find it quite useful so thank you Thanks, Im. I really hope so. And I hope that throughout this podcast series, by sharing our stories and the stories of others, it will really help other people who've experienced grief and loss. We've included links in our show notes to a number of resources related to today's discussion, including the incredible organisation that is Motherless Daughters Australia. And we've also included a link to SUDEP Action, which is an organisation dedicated to raising awareness of epilepsy risks and tackling epilepsy deaths. If you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe to Good Morning on whichever podcast platform you're listening on and give us a rating or a review as all of that really helps. And if you know someone who might benefit from listening to this podcast, please do spread the word about Good Morning. 